We are uh, moving on to Psalm 89 this morning, and as we look at Psalm 89 this morning, it starts like this, a maskil of Ethan the Ezraite, a maskil of Ethan the Ezraite. And uh, if you were here last week, you, we, you may remember that a maskil is a wisdom psalm. It's a psalm that is intended to instruct or teach us something. And so the thing that I want to uh, see in the, this maskil is uh, what he is trying to teach us in this psalm. Okay, so we have Ethan the Ezraite. I know nothing about Ethan the Ezraite. I, I don't know. Uh, he's from the clan of Ezra, I think. That's, that's about what I've got. But... I don't think that the context as far as who wrote the psalm is that significant for us to draw a lot from the psalm, okay? Now, here's what we're going to do in this. Because this is a teaching psalm, we're going to take it as a teaching, and we're going to take it piece by piece, and I want to lay out the structure for the psalm, uh, of the psalm for you. Then we'll look at it piece by piece, and then we'll see what we might learn uh, uh, from it. Because here's what I think is happening in this psalm. I think that Ezra is teaching us how to pray when things aren't the way we think that they should be. That's what I think is happening here. That Ethan the Ezraite is trying to teach us how we should pray when things aren't happening the way that we think they should be. And so I, I want to lay out the structure because this is a long psalm, and so we're going to have to move through it very quickly. It's got 52 verses in it. We're going to have to move through it very quickly in order to cover the whole psalm in one, one go. And so I want you, as we're going, to already have some framework of what this psalm looks like. Then we'll go through it. Then we'll go back through it a second time, but not verse by verse, concept through concept, and how we might pray according to how uh, Ethan lays out the pattern here for us. Okay, so here's, here's what I want you to see. Verses 1 through 4 are about the promise that the Lord has made. Then you have the next section beginning in verse 5 and going through uh, verse 14 is about how great the Lord is. After that, beginning in verse 15, you have um, the, the reality that the people who trust the Lord will be blessed. That goes 15 all the way down to 37. And then in verse 38, it talks about how, but the Lord's promises are not being fulfilled currently. We're not seeing his promises being fulfilled currently. And so then in verse 46, uh, you have the petition that the Lord would fulfill the promises that we know he made. And finally, in verse 52, a prayer for the glory of God as a result of his answering this, the requests of this prayer. Okay, so that's the, that's the quick outline. Now let's go back and look at this piece by piece, okay? So the first four verses, what we have is the Lord has made. In verse 1, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. 
So the psalmist begins this, uh, this uh, prayer to the Lord, and he, what he says, because this is a prayer song, right? It's a prayer song. It's a, one of the psalms in the Psalter. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. I know that the Lord has a steadfast love that will last forever. And so as long as the love of the Lord is steadfast, I am going to sing about how great that steadfast love is. That's what I'm going to do. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever, and I'm with my mouth going to make known your faithfulness to all generations. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep singing it and singing it and singing it. Lord, you are so great. I'm going to tell my kids. I'm going to tell my grandkids. I'm going to tell my great-grandkids. And if I live long enough, I'm going to tell my great-great-grandkids. And I'm going to tell them to tell their great-great-grandkids. Because the faithfulness of the love of the Lord is so good, I want everybody to know. For I said... Now, this is how I'm doing it. For I said that the steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens, and you will establish your faithfulness. I've said it already, Lord. I've said it already, that your steadfast love is being built up. I'm seeing it over and over again. So I told you I'm going to tell it, and now I'm telling you I've already been telling it. I'm not talking about something that I'm going to do that I haven't previously done, right? You've heard those kinds of things. Lord, if you will do this, then I will start going to church and telling everybody about how good you are. But this is a first request. This is a first time. Uh, if, you, if you come through for this, Lord, then I'm going to change my life for you, right? And that's not what this guy's saying. What this guy's saying is, I've already been doing it. So when I say I'm going to keep doing it forever, I've already demonstrated that I've been doing it, and I'm going to keep doing it forever. Because, Lord, your steadfast love is, faithfulness, is faithful. In fact, you have said, verse 3, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. And this is the crux, right? He's going, I know that the steadfast love of the Lord is going to continue forever. How do I know that? Because the Lord has made his promise. That's how I know. That's how I know. I know that the Lord will continue his steadfast love forever and ever from generation to generation because he so loved David, he made his covenant with David, and he didn't just make it with David, he made it with all the generations to follow David. You have said, Lord, I'm reminding you of what you have said and why I trust in your great faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Selah. I'm just going to pause for a moment. Remember that, okay? Because the whole rest of the psalm, the whole rest of the prayer is centered on this. That he's saying, I know, Lord, that your steadfast love will continue forever, and I plan to keep talking about how great it is because of this promise, this promise, this promise that was to David, but not just to David. Lord, you said it would be a promise to David that you were going to establish him and that you were going to establish him and his offspring forever, forever, okay? That is the Uh, establishment of the whole argument from here on, okay, is that the Lord has promised his faithfulness from generation to generation. Okay, so 
He starts off, he says, okay, Lord, you have made this promise. I want to make it clear that I'm going to praise you and talk about your steadfast love because you made a promise. And now, who made this promise? The Lord did. Verse 5, he's going to talk about how great the Lord is, right? It's not just, it's not just uh, that somebody made a promise, right? If I tell you, hey, look, I am going to bless you today and tomorrow and from generation to generation, you can go, that's lovely, Travis. What are you going to do? Um, well, today and tomorrow, I'll tell you how lovely you are. And the next day, if I remember, I'll continue to do that for as long as I live. And that's all I've got, right? But he's saying, no, no, you, Lord, made a promise, and here's who the Lord is. Verse 5, let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can compare, be compared to the Lord? Who among the heaven, heavenly beings is like the Lord? a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. Is there anybody as mighty as the Lord? Is there anybody as fantastic as our God? Is there anybody in the skies? Is there anybody in the heavens that can even be compared to who God is? Any heavenly beings? Any angelic beings? Any pathetic human beings that can be compared to how great the Lord is? No, there is no one. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are? O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. Verse 9, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it. You have founded them. You've created the whole thing. Is there anybody that can compete with you? you? You rule the raging of the sea. Have you seen the sea rage? I've seen it be a little tumultuous. I can't say I've ever seen it rage, and I'm happy about that. Because I've seen a storm on the coast, and that's plenty for me. God can still that. Here we have, again, Rahab. A couple of, of uh, psalms ago, we had Rahab, which is, uh, this word can mean storm or arrogant, um, and, and can be referred to, uh, sometimes it refers to like a sea creature, a sea monster, or who is representative of, of storms and chaos. Sometimes it can, can be applied to Egypt and the arrogance and stubbornness of, of Egypt, but it, whatever it is, in this particular context that Rahab is referring to, it is this idea of a chaos and arrogance against the Lord. Whether that's a country or the sea or a sea creature or something, it is some sort of, of chaos and, and arrogance that doesn't want to submit to God. And it says, boom, you crushed Rahab like a carcass. Done. No problem. Who was it that was raging against you? I don't know. It doesn't matter done. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you founded them. You created the whole thing. You control the whole thing. You tell everything to either uh, do what, you're, what they're supposed to do or knock it off, right? You, you 
founded the earth and the seas and the skies and the stars and the heavens and all of it. You did it. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon, pray, joyously praise your name. These are, are mountains in, in Israel. Tabor and, and Hermon, uh, joyously praise your name. You have a mighty and strong is your hand. And righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. This is what I know about the character of my God. That no one compares to him. That his steadfast love continues on forever. That he rules with justice and power and might. And so when I said that the Lord was the one who made a promise to David and for all generations, this is the guy I was talking about. This is the one that I was talking about. Somebody who is able, completely able to fulfill all of his promises. That's who we're talking about. The Lord is great. We sang that already this morning. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. So, he made a promise. He is awesome and incredible. Next, verse 15. The people who trust the Lord's promises are blessed. Blessed, verse 15 says, are the people who know the fest festal shout. Who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from my people. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted." I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm forever for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens." Here's what I know. God has made a great promise. God is a great God, and it is great to be one of the people of God. The people of God are blessed. That's what the psalmist wants us to know. The people of God are blessed. There is nothing, nothing like walking in the favor of God. There's nothing like it. You can get all the accolades of mankind. You can win all the sports things, all the championships, all of the things. You can earn all of the money, have all of the fame, have all of the authority, all of the power, all of the everything from everyone who could possibly give it to you, and it still would not compare to the favor of walking with God. It wouldn't compare. 
Because the God of the universe, when he smiles upon you and gives you his favor and pours out his mercy and his steadfast love and faithfulness on you, there is nothing like it in the whole world. Have you ever gone for a walk on the beach when the sun was shining on you and you just went, this is great. The breeze comes in. It's a nice, it's not the like hot, oppressive heat. It's just a nice warm day at the beach. The sand is warm, but not hot. The breeze is refreshing coming off of the, the ocean water. And you're just going, I could do this all the time. I would be happy to do this all the time. And you're just walking and enjoying that kind of, that is the steadfast love of God to you. When you walk as one of God's people and his mercies and his favor is upon you, it is like the warm sun just shining on you. That kind of refreshment, that kind of freedom, that kind of joy, that is what it is to walk before God and be one of his people. He says, this is, this is fantastic. It is great to be one of God's people. He makes a great promise. He is a great God. It is great to be one of his people. It is not great to not be one of his people. Verse 30. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. For as wonderful as it is to feel the favor of God, to walk against God, to rebel against God, and to reject Him is, is, to, uh, is to endure His punishment. And, he's, and so the psalmist acknowledges that. And he says, look, we recognize, we recognize that you are a great God who made a great promise. We recognize that uh, it is great to be your people. And we recognize that even within the promise, you did say that if we forsake your promise, that is, if we are not faithful, that we will incur your wrath. I understand that. However, may I remind you, verse 33... But I will not remove my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness, God says. Verse 34, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went, out forth, that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. My offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. Selah. Look, it is great to be one of God's people. If we forsake his covenants, if we are not faithful to uh, his promises, then there will be punishment for that. But, God says, I will nevertheless be faithful to my promises. There is nothing that my people can do that will make me not keep my promise. That's awesome. That's awesome. There is nothing that you can do that will make God not keep his promise. You can't make him not keep his promise. 
because he is faithful and he is steadfast. And so the psalmist says, look, we know how good it is to be your people and to have your mercy and favor upon us. We do understand that when we are not faithful, then we deserve to receive your wrath. However, you have also said that you are going to remain faithful nonetheless. And I want to remind you, God, that you are going to remain faithful nonetheless, even if we are not faithful you will be faithful. I just want to remind you of that. And here's why I want to remind you of that, verse 38. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his uh, strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short his days. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. Selah. God, I want to remind you that I have trusted and proclaimed your steadfast love. I want to remind you that I will continue to proclaim your steadfast love for as long as forever and as long as your steadfast love remains. I want to remind you that you are a great God, greater than any other being that may exist anywhere. I want to remind you that it is wonderful, fantastic to be your people and that even if you come against us because we are not faithful to the covenant, yet you are going to remain faithful to your promises and you will fulfill them. And I want you to know, God, that it is not that way right now. That as I look around and I see the things that are going on around me, I recognize this is not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that I'm walking in the sunshine on the beach in the favor of my God while my enemies don't. And what I'm seeing instead is that your hand is against me, against your people, and your enemies are rejoicing. What's the deal with that, God? This is not the way that it should be, even if, even if we haven't been faithful to our promises. Even if we haven't been faithful to the covenant, Lord, you are supposed to remain faithful to yours. Your very character depends on it. And so, God, I just want to put out there that this is not right. I am not seeing the faithfulness from generation to generation to generation of David's uh, offspring sitting on the throne and ruling his people with mercy and grace. I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing that the nations cower in, in fear of your people. I'm not seeing that your favor is going out to bless all nations from your people. I'm not seeing those things. What I'm seeing is all kinds of turmoil. That's what I'm seeing. And so then he makes his petition. He's laid out what's going on, how that doesn't match with what he expects there to be based on the steadfast love of God, the great creator and ruler God. And so then he makes his petition in verse 46. How long, O Lord, will you hide your face forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. 
For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What, can, what man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Selah. God, how long is this going to continue? How long is this going to continue? I want to remind you, my life is short. I know you've been around forever and will be around forever, but I just want to remind you, Lord, my life is short and getting shorter every day. And so the longer I wait to see you fulfill your promises, the longer I'm beginning to wonder, are you going to fulfill your promises? Because my life is short. I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. What man is there that can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Who can do these things? The psalmist is asking these questions and is petitioning God and saying, Lord, how long do we have to put up with this? How long does it have to be this way? When are you going to make it right according to what you have promised before? When are you going to do it, God? I want to add in here just for a moment. I'm going to take a quick pause to add something that the psalmist didn't know that we do know. So that when we go back through and we say, what, what about the circumstances, the things that we see around us that are not the way that we think they should be? That we have something even more than what the psalmist has. Because in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 8, it says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. So this is Paul writing to Timothy, and what he's saying is, I want you to remember that Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead. So when the psalmist had asked in verse 48, what man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? I want us to remember that uh, what, the, what the Hebrew author didn't know what, that we do know is Jesus, right? So when we get, come across who can live and never see death and who can be delivered from, from the power of the grave, we say, oh, Jesus can, Jesus can. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Verse 10, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It's like they took this psalm, Paul took this psalm, compressed it, and gave it to Timothy and said, in light of Jesus, I want you to know the hope is even greater. I want you to know the hope is even greater. So that when, when he says, what man can, can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? We have a hope that when we believe in Jesus, we can be delivered from death. 
that we will have the eternal favor of God and His mercies shining on us forever in Jesus. So then when he goes on in verse 49 of Psalm 89, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations. I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. He's going, I just, I want you to remember, God, that you made that promise. You made that promise a long time ago, and you made it to David, and it was supposed to be a forever promise. And I want you to notice, God, that we are not feeling that here now. We're not feeling that here now. And then he finishes, verse 52, Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. He started off by saying, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord, right? Isn't that how we started off? I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. And he ends, even with an unresolved circumstance, he ends with, blessed be the Lord forever. I'm going to continue to bless the Lord forever. May it be so, and may it be so. And so I want to, want to just say, when we're reading through the, the Bible, and we expect that we are going to be learning from the Bible, right? One of the things that we have talked about in the past is praying through Scripture. If, you're, if you have trouble praying, you say, I, I don't really know how to pray. One of the things that you can do is you can take Scripture, you can read it, and you can pray it back to God. Or you can use it as a framework for prayer. And this instructional psalm is a really good one for that. This instructional psalm is laid out as a prayer that we are supposed to be learning from, and I think we can be learning how to pray. Because what the psalmist was experiencing is he was looking around and going, this is not right. This is not right. This country is a mess. It's all divided and broken up. We don't have a king on the throne who is ruling righteously. God's people are being scattered. They're being oppressed, and the enemies are rising up. What is going on? And so he goes to the Lord in prayer and says, God, I just want to pray. And this is the, the structure of the prayer. I'm going to rehearse it for you again. I've been trying to make it known, but I, I just want to rehearse it for you again, okay? We have a great promise from the Lord. The Lord who made that great promise is a great God. The people who are God's people are blessed. That it is great to be among the people of God because they are blessed. That even when they are not faithful, yet He remains faithful to His promises. Yet, we don't see those promises being fulfilled right now. We don't see them being complete right now. 
And so we are asking, Lord, would you fulfill the promises that you have already made? And we will promise to praise you forever for those things. That's the pattern that we see here. And that's the pattern that I want to encourage in you because here's the thing that I see in me, right? The thing that I see in me is that when I see things that are not the way that I think they should be, the thing that I try to do, I'm a talker. I don't know if you've noticed that. But I'm a, I'm a talker, and so I try to talk people into the right thing. I try to talk people into the right thing. I want to reason people into the right thing. I want to explain people into the right thing. I want to push people into the right thing. I want to convince people of the right thing. And if I'm doing enough, it will be the result is going to be the right thing because it's broken, and I can tell people it's broken, we should fix it, and then it will get fixed because I told them to. Somebody's shaking their head at me. I'm not going to point out who it is, but they're shaking their head at me like, that's not going to work. You don't have that kind of authority. You don't have that kind of power, and your words aren't that great. And so when we see those things that are broken around us, whether your temptation is to talk about it, whether your temptation is to ignore it, whether your temptation is to try and just muscle up and do something about it, what our reality should be, is that we pray. And we say, this is what I see that is broken. Here is the promise, Lord, that I see that you have made. I know that you are great and able to fulfill your promises. I know that it is wonderful to be walking as one of your people. I know that you will remain faithful to your promises even if we are unfaithful. And so, Lord, this is the thing that I see that is broken that I want to see made right. Please make it right. How long must we wait for this to be made right? And Lord, I am going to proclaim how great you are with an expectation that it will be made right. And in addition to that, we have this one little addition that we have Jesus so when the psalmist is praying and he's going, I don't see it. I don't see the fulfillment. I don't see the anointed of David, the descendant of David, who will rule on the throne forever. We go, and I know who that is. Which on the one hand gives me so much more hope than what the psalmist had. Because I go, I know how that promise is being fulfilled. The psalmist didn't know, but this, this promise is being fulfilled in Jesus. And so I, I have way more hope than the psalmist had. And at the same time, I'm way more frustrated. Because if Jesus is the fulfillment of that, if he's already died on the cross, if he's already risen from the dead to conquer sin and death, and he's already sitting at the right hand of God on high, then why isn't he ruling and making everything the way that it's supposed to be? And so I find myself praying the same things as the psalmist. With more hope, because I know that Jesus is the one that's doing it, and in some ways, more frustration because Jesus, do it now. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.
Can we pray? Father, we, we know that you have made your promises to us. You have said from of old that you would be faithful to us, that we would be blessed to be your people. You made that promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Israel through Moses and again to David that you would bless your people and through your people all nations would be blessed. And Lord, we don't see that happening. We know that it is great to be among your people. We know how great it is to experience your favor, your grace. And yet, Lord, we are not feeling that every day. Some are not feeling that today in their own lives. Some feel as though their enemies are rising up against them and are winning. Some feel like their days are short. Some feels like their bodies are failing them. And Lord, we know that it is great to be among your people. And so we ask, will you make it right? We see division in our communities. We see people that are not treated with justice, who are being taken advantage of and oppressed. We see people suffering physical harm. We see turmoil in the community and in the politics. Lord, we see people doing unrighteous things. We see this brokenness in our own community, in our own homes, in our own country, and we see it around the world. And so, Lord, we ask, how long, how long must we wait until you make it right? Please, Lord, come. Please come and make it right. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.